Amen. Thank you, Justin and leadership team. We appreciate it, and good to be with you as well. I'm Dave Mitchell, and uh, it's always a privilege to be able to share together and worship in the Word and uh, let God guide us and direct us. We're in a book we call Galatians. It's because Paul the Apostle wrote it to this area of Galatia. I'll show you in a map in just a moment. And this morning, we're really emphasizing this whole area of finding freedom from fake faith. Uh, the problem that a lot of us have grown up with, or maybe some of us experience today, is that we have a fake faith. And fakeness is not always just a uh, byproduct of being a follower of Jesus. I was intrigued by this picture I found and heard about this ad. Nordstrom's is, is selling these jeans, and their jeans, and this is how they describe those that would want these jeans. They write it in this way. Wearing these jeans embodies rugged Americana workwear that's seen some hard work action with a cracked cake-on muddy coating that shows you're not afraid to get down and dirty. For $425, these jeans could be yours. I have some in my closet that I'm going to put on Craigslist and I'll sell them for half that price. I got jeans with paint. I got jeans with hole. The jeans I was wearing yesterday ripped another hole. I've already had Joy patch up one hole, and yet uh, I'm, I'm resisting the holy jeans thing because I'm always patching them with the old patches. Remember way back, and this is, just goes back for those of us who are old like me, where mom would put the big patch on the knee here and just extend the life. Anyways, this is the reality that we have, and sometimes it crosses over from the... Uh, really the commercialism of today, and, and we've had challenges of what's the proper church clothing to wear. And I just came across this picture this guy. I don't know who he is, but I was intrigued as to the kind of remarks that he might have been hearing when he went to church. And so he felt that he needed to post, these are my church clothes, my Sunday clothes. And sometimes we have these images of what, what we should have on the outside to somehow cover up maybe what is or is not going on the inside. And so we have this, this fakeness that sometimes overcomes us. And uh, we can get pretty judgmental about it, and we'll talk some more about that. But let me read the text. This is where the Apostle Paul is interacting. He's written to the area of Galatia that is in the parts of Turkey, really maybe the southern part of Turkey, as you can see on the map. You see the highlighted area of Antioch? This is where the action is taking place of Antioch. And in Galatians chapter 2, verse 11, it says this. And this is really picking up, if you were here last week, a continuation of this theme of uh, some of these challenges of times and transitions of relationships and ethnic and religious practices. It says in verse 11, But when Cephas, who was the apostle Peter, the great Peter, uh, that was a follower of Jesus and the first really great preacher in the book of Acts, but when Cephas or Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. So what was he condemned over? Here is the problem. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, James is the great leader of the church that was in the area of Jerusalem, Acts 15. He presided over a lot of the conflicts of moving from Judaism to the kind of Christian life that we live today. And so he says, I wanted to confront him because there were these Jews that were coming from James. He used to eat with the Gentiles, but when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. And uh, I'm going to 
paraphrase all this in a moment. And the rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in the presence of all, if you being a Jew live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like the Jews? Here's the problem. It's not something that you and I can relate to immediately in terms of the specific application, but there is a general principle that comes out of this. In those days, there was a group of people called Judaizers. Judaizers would go around the world, in the world of the days of Paul and uh, Peter, and they would demand that the Gentiles that are now being saved, like in Acts 10 and 11, Cornelius is the great leader there who was dramatically saved, that the Gentiles now have to live like the Jews used to live. If the Gentiles get saved, they need to be circumcised. If the Gentiles get saved, they need to follow the laws of Moses. They need to live their lives like Jewish people live their lives. And so they got caught up in this uh, laws of Moses and circumcision and other rituals and regulations that come out of the Old Testament. And so they are therefore demanding that their lifestyle change to fit the way the Jews live. Now God has given them freedom from all that stuff. When the Apostle Peter was in Acts 10 and 11, he got a vision from God that God says, don't say that any foods are not to be eaten. I give you freedom from all the regulations that you are struggling to live by. And so the, the temporary practice, if you will, was Jewish holdovers into a new now Gentile world that were forcing the Gentiles to live like the Jews. This happens today in terms of a timeless principle, as you heard referenced last week. Sometimes we have holdover values, behaviors, convictions that maybe I grew up with that we want to hold, we want to hold everybody else to it as well. And God says, no, those are, those are areas of freedom, and you're, you're imposing what you grew up with on those that now are growing up. And we want to avoid, we want to have freedom from a fake faith that is based upon temporary practices that are not timeless principles that should be applied to everyone. So we'll explore that together. Here's the first thing that I recognize that comes out of the text the Apostle Paul has for us. We need to be ready to condemn any of this fake faith. We need to acknowledge it, recognize it. Paul writes, look, when I came, I I confronted you, Peter, right face to face. I wasn't talking behind your back. I just said, look, this kind of stuff should not be allowed. And so he opposed him, and he condemned his position. I love the Greek language, and uh, I don't know why I like to throw it up here, but I'm always intrigued by this words. opposed, antihistamine. If you've got uh, uh, some allergies, you're probably taking antihistamines. And so you are opposing that infliction upon your sinuses and your nasal cavity, right? So you're standing up against it. He says, I want to stand up like an antihistamine and oppose this kind of fake faith that is trying to be imposed upon Gentile believers. I want us to stand up against a fake faith that tries to impose upon others things that God says you have freedom in. And then he says, I want to condemn you. What does it mean to condemn? Condemn is not to stand in judgment and look angry 
and wrathful and rebuke and belittle and minimize and diminish. That's not condemnation. The word that Paul used for condemn means to literally, to know by experience that something's wrong and I'm against it. That's what that word condemn. Sometimes we see these English words like condemn and we look like these angry people. They're going to get you because God hates you and I'm going to hate you as well. That's not condemnation. That's not what Paul said. He says, I've learned through experience that those things simply are not right, so I'm opposed to it. That's what he's saying. Let me give you an example. Here's a picture. I've used this uh, many, many years ago. Here's a picture of a woman. She's got a uh, uh, pitchfork. She's plowing the ground. And here's a woman over here. It's got the I Love Lucy thing on the head. And uh, this goes way back into the 1950s. This was put out by a, uh, a mission organization. This is an example of a woman doing some back-breaking work there in the garden. And another woman that is looking somewhat condemningly upon this woman as she's doing her work. And somebody complained. Somebody wrote into this mission agency. This is like in the 1950s and complained about this. What do you think they complained about? Woman wearing jeans. Because jeans lead to drugs and premarital sex. <laughs> Here is what they complained about. Now hang in there as to the application. Somebody from Pasadena wrote in, We have greatly enjoyed your devotional for a number of years and have never seen anything that would warrant a breath of criticism. For this reason, I know that you will allow me to mention the picture in the last issue of the girl in pants. Right there is the questionable behavior. I, I can feel your ire already that she is wearing those pants. As your devotional enters thousands of homes, it might give an impression that you put a seal of approval on this custom. We know that in this modern style, centuries old and not approved of God, We know this modern style has allowed much crimes and personal sin to be indulged in. It has dulled the fineness of women's modesty and opened the door for smoking and other evil habits. Our Sunday school papers and many forms of Christian literature have adopted this kind of illustration. It grows more difficult daily for the church and the world to remain apart. So ladies... If you're wearing pants, it's no wonder you smoke <laughs> and have other evil habits and you're causing many crimes and personal sins to take place. If we banned women in pants, the world would be saved. That's all we need to do. But you get the idea here. So we look at that and rightfully we sort of jest and laugh about that, I hope. There's nobody that's upset with me for even laughing about women in pants. But think back in the 1950s when that person wrote that. They believed it. They were convicted about it. And they spent time putting postage stamps on a letter. They didn't email in those days. And mailed it to them. And then they responded, the people of this devotion said, Yeah, you know, we thought doing back-breaking work like this, it would be a, more appropriate like this than in a dress. 
But you make a good point that we need to be very careful about some of these areas. Now, they didn't say, you know, you've got to be kidding, get a life. They didn't say that. And so there are eras in which we have convictions that at the time, they seem like, wow, no question about it, that's bad behavior, that's bad thinking, and we will condemn it. But the fact is, we can look back now based upon, remember, to condemn is to know by experience that something is wrong and stand against it. We now know by experience that this conviction was ludicrous because it doesn't lead to smoking. It doesn't lead to evil habits. It doesn't lead to crime. It's, that's craziness. And so what God says now, therefore, in this day in which we live, 2017, do we have convictions like that that seem so true, so sincere, so godly, and that God says, but, you know, in another 50 years they're going to be laughing about that because I don't, even, I don't even care. I don't care whether she wears a dress or pants. What are those things that are today? So we need to be careful and condemn what God condemns, but not condemn what God says you've got freedom in. That's where fake faith comes in. So therefore, we need to acknowledge the compromised nature of fake faith. There's a compromise that is going on, and I want to sort of set this up with a little video. And this is a little bit of a satire, not a little bit, but it's a satire. But it pokes at once at what some people think and act as if this is what spirituality of seeking a church looks like. Y'all know the TV show House Hunters? Okay, then it doesn't matter. But there is a play off of that called Church Hunters of a couple looking for a church to make their home church. Here's a take a look. Nick and Molly just moved to the city and can't agree on what they want. They are young and energetic and looking for a new church home. We'll take some personality tests, tour the sites, ask some questions, and based on taste, experience, and location, we'll find them the perfect congregation. I'm Corey Clark, and welcome to Church Hunters. We're so excited to find a church. We just started dating. Um, with the churches we go to now, just not, like for us, just not really doing it for us, you know? Right. I, I go to a satellite campus. I just find it hard to connect emotionally with a video screen. It's just... Okay, you cry during Cake Boss. So, like, we've been doing a lot of services online, a lot of podcasts. There are a lot of preachers we do like. Really good, but we want, we want serious yet funny. Yeah, like commanding of the stage yet relatable, you mm-hmm. know? We're more looking for uh, the humor of Andy Stanley with the body of Stephen Furtick. Hey, guys. What's happening? I'm Corey. Good to see you. My name's Nick. This hey, is Molly. Molly. Hey, guys. Welcome to Church Hunters. This is your first church. This is Creekside First Baptist. So while it is traditional, it's still pretty current. Just okay. this year, the pastor started untucking his shirts. Oh, that's good. He does dress his age, though, so don't worry. He's past the Osteen suit phase, but he hasn't gone full Giglio yet. Okay, oh. so there's holes in the knees or no? Well, it's frayed, but no holes. Frayed, oh. no. Okay, got it. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. So, hey, let me show you around. Okay, right, let's Come on. do it. I do love this lobby. It's a great lobby. You know, yeah. it's not too big, not too small. Yeah. It should be enough room to catch up, chat with your friends. But here's a great thing. There's a bunch of side exits, so if you need to leave early and catch the game, you can do that. Got it. Honestly, right up front, uh, didn't love the name. No, 
First Baptist? Who names a church that anymore? I just... Not these days. We're looking no. for like a Thrive Church, maybe Relevant Church, I don't know, Radiant Church, something. This is the soundboard they use here. Okay. Now remember, it's pretty traditional here. So when Sunday comes around, they turn it way down low. Got it. <laughs> But the one knock on this church, they still use the child care numbering system on the screens. Ooh, uh, the yeah. Or as the moms like to call it, the sanctuary walk of shame. Yeah. <laughs> the Sunday morning experience was just a little too traditional for, for us. For us. I mean, the pastor's main point, 157 characters. I can't tweet that. I really think you guys are going to love this place. I like we it. We do. We like it. it. Yeah. You know, it's diverse, but it's not like too diverse, you know? Scripture-heavy sermons? Oh, or, yeah. 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 What about, uh, is it community-oriented? Absolutely. Great. Oh, women in ministry? The parking situation, you guys got to see it. It's super rare nowadays. It. Come with me. It was like a, a maybe for when my parents we'll come into town yeah. for a church for Christmas, Easter type of church. Like a holiday-type holiday church. One of the main reasons that I love this church for you guys is that on your personality test, Molly, you scored high in service and hospitality. Oh, babe. And there's wow. a great welcome team you could join. Perfect. Okay. And then, Nick, you scored really high in need for accountability. Wow. And the men's groups here are amazing. You're just going to put that out there? Hey, God knows your heart, okay? On the next episode of Church Hunters. I think you're really going to love this place. They take relevance to a whole new level. This church identifies as interdenominational. This pastor speaks out of a brand new translation. It's the Tumblr Bible. You get a feel of the taste of whoever wrote that and scripted it together, that it's poking fun at some of the crazy ways that we try to decide, is this church right for us? That's why I'm untucked today, because I think it'll... it'll ex I realize if I start untucking, I can extend my ministry life by five years. And so... So we got these crazy things. I mean, my first, one of the first things that I had somebody write a critical note for me after I came here to Calvary Church 21 years ago, one of the first notes, and that was before email. So email was not in vogue back then, I know. Can't believe it, but it wasn't. And so I got a wrote, and she wrote, your pants are too long. And so we have, we have these things that we get caught up with, that we're driven by, that we are sure it's important. And God says, you know, those things are not. I need to acknowledge the compromised nature of this fake faith of trying to establish spirituality based on things that are so temporal and so insignificant and so unimportant in the grand scheme of what God is trying to do and say to us. So, take a look at the text. Here's what Paul writes. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, again, James, the half-brother of Jesus, the leader of the church in those early centuries of the first century church. James is one of the, the great, significant, godly men that are ruling. So James sends some Jewish people, we call them Judaizers, they go and they find Peter and they realize that Peter was eating with Gentiles. And then John, I mean, then, then Paul writes, but when they came, he began to withdraw. So Peter says, oh, the Jewish people are coming and they're going to get caught up with the fact that I'm eating with Gentiles. They're not going to like it. So he slowly begins to withdraw from eating together with Gentiles, eating food that might have been 
not part of the dietary laws of Judaism. And then he holds himself and he stood aloof and he feared the party of the circumcision. He feared these Jewish Judaizers that are coming around judging how everyone is supposed to live their Christian life based upon their temporary practices that are insignificant in the scheme of God's plan. And they go around planting condemnation and judgment on others who don't live and look the way they think they should live and look. That's what Paul's getting their case built around. So here are some of the qualities that come out of fake faith. Fake faith that is compromised is this. When I change my convictions to keep my prestige or position with some people, when I begin to modify what I believe God says, because I don't want someone to think that I'm not as important as I really think that I am. Here, let me go to my unity pyramid. I'm going to quote Eric, who quoted me last week. Were you here last week? I feel like... In the world today, there are foundational truths, and if you don't know what they are, that's where you're going to get into trouble. Foundational truths that they believe that Jesus is fully God, fully man. Foundational truth is that we believe that Jesus died as a substitute for me to atone or forgive me of my sins. We believe that the Word of God, the Bible, is inerrant, infallible, has no mistakes, no, no errors. It is trustworthy, and the entire book is to be studied and learned from. Foundational truth, Jesus Christ is coming back a second time, and we should be expecting him to come back. Those are some foundational truths. Supplemental truths that come out of that is that uh, maybe I like the New American Standard Version. You might like the New Living Bible. You might like the NIV Bible. You might like the ESV Bible. There are a variety of translations that you might look at, and there's different ways in terms of worship experience where there are some songs that uh, are very meaningful to you, grew up with it, stirs memories of the times of the past. And so we sang, this is my father's world, this is my father's world, and then also we sang oceans. That is more relevant, more contemporary in terms of its use and today. And then there are incidental things like my pants are too long. Uh, that just, does, just doesn't matter. And I need to understand that I won't change these so that people will think better of me. I won't suddenly say that, you know what, Jesus is the way to God, but he might allow for other ways to God. That would be changing my conviction because I want to be accepted by everybody. We believe what Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and life. Nobody goes to the Father but through me. And yet there are pastors and there are churches that will compromise that conviction and say that, well, he is one way to God, but there are many good religions and many good people, and they might find a different way to God. And there are pastors that will compromise that so that they can be more widely accepted. But one thing I don't want to have happen is where I take some of these areas and stand so strongly, like women wearing pants, incidental, and then you make that where I will never budge on that because, you know, I don't want anybody to not think highly of me. That's crazy. A second aspect of a compromised faith is this. It's when I withdraw from certain classes of people to avoid criticism. Because I don't want anybody to complain about who I am or what I'm doing. Here is an example. And I just want to be direct. Today, 
Uh, we live with the, uh, uh, the struggle of gay lifestyles and gay marriages. We hear about people who are persecuted for their conviction, and their conviction is, I don't want to make a cake for a gay wedding. I don't want to arrange a flower arrangement for a gay wedding because it looks as if I am somehow supporting and celebrating that activity. I respect that conviction. Is that a conviction that's foundational? Is that a conviction that's supplemental? Is it a conviction that's incidental? I don't know where you're coming from, obviously, but let me put it this way. For me, it's not foundational. Some of the biggest criticism that came at Jesus is because he ate and dined with sinners. When he ate and dined with sinners, was Jesus endorsing the sinful behavior of the people in whose home he was eating? No. Why did he go to sinful homes? Because he's come to save sinful people. Why do bank robbers rob banks? Because that's where the money is. That's where Jesus would go as to where the sinfulness is. For me, it's supplemental. It's an opinion. And I respect those who would say, no, I can't do that. But I also respect those that would go there. Some of you have children who are part of the gay community. Understand that you don't withdraw from certain classes of people to avoid criticism from pastors that might get on your case because you'd go there for the foundational truth of the gospel because you can't help someone know Jesus unless they know someone who is Jesus to them. That's foundational. Compromised faith also when I cover up my conduct out of fear that others will judge me. I don't want to be judged. Some of the things I just said, some of you in your mind are maybe thinking, hmm, I'm not sure. I think I want to judge him for that. Let me go to my pyramid again. There are some truths. One of the things that Paul says is to never give offense to someone else. So I don't want to give offense to anyone. But I can't always avoid someone taking offense. There's a big difference between giving offense and taking offense. When I say that Jesus Christ, for example, is the way to God, and there is no other religion, Mohammed, Buddha, Hinduism, Jehovah Witness, there is no other religion that allows you to get to heaven except through the Christianity where Christ is fully God, fully man and died for us in our place. Now, saying that gospel message that Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection is the only way to God in heaven, Paul says, that's offensive. That's offensive to a world that wants to believe that any religion will get us to heaven. Well, I can't help the fact that someone is offended by that. So they take offense. That's not my problem. I just don't want to give offense. So giving offense is where I stick a stand here in these areas, and I began to do things that I know are intentionally going to be offensive to someone. And maybe I have a standing, let's take gay lifestyle, and I start making cracks about gay people, and I say things that are diminishing to them, that, that are offensive in their tone, in their verbiage, in the language that is out there. Or it's not just gay people, it's maybe it's an ethnic thing. 
and I start making these comments that are patently offensive. I'm giving offense, and that is prohibited by God. So I can't help the fact that some will take offense because we stand fast on biblical truths, but I can modify and change when it's supplemental and incidental, and it just, God says, it's like pants on a woman. I just don't care. Get back to what counts. So Paul says, make sure that you have a fake faith that when I create these fake standards that others, um, that I do not keep, that, that I don't want to have these standards that causes everybody else to have to do it, but I don't think I have to do it. And I don't have time to go into it, but I encourage you to read Matthew 23, where Jesus rails against the Pharisees who had set up standards for everyone else, but they themselves didn't have to abide by it. Let me move along. Understanding the undis- uh, this, uh, this fake faith means to understand the devastating consequences of faith, hypocritical faith. That is that's just so undermining to everything God wants. Notice what Galatians 3.13 says. The rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy. This is devastating. So Peter is the hypocrite who says he can eat with Gentiles. The Jews come and he removes himself from the Gentiles because he didn't want to be offensive and he wants them to think well of him. So he removes himself and with that hypocrisy, Paul calls it hypocrisy. He says, you've even caused Barnabas, one of the most mature godly men in that day, you've even caused him to stumble and he was carried away. This is why it's so important for us, and I'm on the older side of life, and maybe I'm, I don't know if I'm elderly yet, but I'm really close to it. Thank you for objecting to that. (laughs) But you know what? I will speak to us who are at this side of life. People of a certain age, be careful that we don't come across with a certain kind of judgmental, condemning attitude against people whose supplemental or incidental type issues that we poke fun at. And what happens is they turned off to Jesus. We need to be awfully careful. I'm very, I, I, I don't always do that. Sometimes I can mess up, and our, my daughters will straighten me out, <laughs> and, uh, and that's okay. Jessica speaks her her mind. I always like to know where I stand with her, and and I do. And when I say something that may come across as offensive, and it's supplemental or incidental, I need to be corrected on that. So let's us be careful that we don't cause others to fall away from the faith because I say one thing and do something else. We have enough pastors that preach against adultery and then they commit adultery. That is such a hypocritical stumbling stone for so many in society today. And we have all these other areas that we just have to be careful. So I poke at my, even my profession. And then finally, I need to correct any false belief and return to the foundation of truth of the gospel. I need, to, I need to go back to what God says is really important, Dave. He says, this is what I think is important. When the, but when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in the presence of all, if you, being a Jew, live like Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? Why are you making the Gentiles to be circumcised and follow the laws of Moses when you yourself don't do it and you've got this hypocrisy 
because you're not living the truth of the gospel. Go back to the gospel. Go back to the foundational truths. I love this word straightforward. Orthopodio, it comes out of this word. Ortho meaning to be straight, like an orthopedist, a surgeon. Podio comes out of this uh, Greek word for feet, to have straight feet. (laughs) When I thought about that, I remembered way back my dad in his last year of life. We were battling with him to not drive. That's something that some of you know about. Uh, Not with my dad, but with your own parents. So how do you get the keys away? One time my dad told me, he says, yeah, I was driving, because I saw some damage in the front of the car. I said, what happened? He says, well, I was going down this road, and then the road hit a Y, and part of the road would go this way, part of the road would go that way because there was construction right here, and they had all these cones right there. So I was looking at this, and I said, I don't know whether I should go right or left, so I just went straight. (laughs) And he ran over all these cones and damaged the front end of the car. I said, Dad, you can't do that. Stop. You're going to kill somebody or yourself. But one thing I love about that, and I just throw it out because, I don't know, it just occurred to me, is that metaphorically, metaphorically, my dad was a straightforward guy. (laughs) Literally. (laughs) Literally, as well as spiritually. And so I have the privilege of having a dad that wouldn't go to the right or the left. And I got some scriptures that he should have, well, maybe read better. And, but anyways, I got some wonderful texts on the, the outline there that you can read where Isaiah talks about don't look to the left, don't look to the right, go right straight ahead. That's what God wants. Now let me apply this. Let me do some application. Here is where I want us to think about, for example. I've written down some things I want to make sure I share. Be warned. Even the most mature believers can fall into this trap of a hypocritical fake faith. That's Barnabas. You and I, we can all be part of that. We need to be very careful that we're not part of that. Please, as there are generations, two, three, four, down below many of us, please, please, don't you do the Barnabas thing of being hypocritical of your fake faith. Secondly, the application is this. We must believe what is true, but also remember to live that truth authentically before other people. I need to make sure, I need to make sure that I'm living it out. Peter wasn't living it out, and Paul confronted him to his face. Barnabas wasn't living it out, and Paul writes in the eternal word of God that even Barnabas was a hypocrite. I hate to think that I want to be part of the story where Paul rebuked me because I'm not living the faith that I should live. And there's a lot of fake standards, fake convictions, incidental supplemental issues, and I'm getting all hot and bothered about them. And God says, please, leave it alone. It's just not important. And then thirdly, it is acceptable to adjust. It doesn't mean you have to walk all over everybody that that maybe sees things differently. It's okay to adjust your way to live your life to not offend people and to reach out with the gospel. 1 Corinthians 9, I won't read it, but you can read it on your own. Paul says, man, to the Jews I became a Jew. To the Gentiles I became a Gentile. I became all things to all people so that I might win some. 
you need to adjust. And I put on some stuff here. If you're older like me, maybe you're in your elderly years like me, thinking about Medicare and Social Security and Jeopardy. <laughs> if you're older like me, don't look down on someone because they're younger. I was just talking with a, our band up here that plays, that's going to come up here and play again. And a lot of them are like 23 and 24. I said, there was a day in my upbringing when I was 23 that would never happen. I say, thank you, Lord. You're raising up generations. They're going to be in positions of leadership that when I'm buried over at Fairhaven, they're carrying on the ministry of God. Actually, I'm going to be in a coffee can in our closet somewhere. But that's, that's beside the point. If you're a younger, if you're younger, don't look down on someone because they're older and have gray hair. Wait to know them better. If you're older, do not condemn those young people because they seem to be preoccupied with their phone, iPad, games, and always looking down and they're in the restaurant, they're over here at Chipotle and they're going like this. Don't say anything to them. Just greet them and say hi. But don't make a snide remark that somehow they're not really communicating. They may be communicating more stuff texting with someone than a lot of us sitting around at a restaurant where we don't know what to say. If you're younger, don't be frustrated with us elderly people because we don't get Facebook and Snapchat and Instagram and don't know how to communicate in a messenger and can't figure out how to work the computer sometimes. Just be patient because all of that's new to us as well. Just get to know us. If you're older, if you're older, be open to new music styles and worship. Be open to that. These are areas that change in every generation. As I grew up, as I wrote in my email, as I grew up, it would have been unthinkable for a guitar to be on the platform. That would have been the birth pangs of the, of the Great Tribulation. And drums, drums would never be allowed because drums have a beat. And when you have a beat, it makes you want to dance. And when you dance, you have premarital sex. <laughs> so that's why we never had drums. If we banned drums from society, we would never have premarital sex again. You know, I'm sort of kidding there. If you're younger, learn some of the old hymns. We sang, If This Is My Father's World. There's some great truth there, some great theology. It's teaching us, but it's also worshiping God for the depth of who He is. If you're a man... Would you treat women with the highest respect and highest regard as the, one of the greatest creations that God has ever created and honor them for who they are? Never say anything that's diminishing and undermining and belittling or stereotypical. If you're a woman, sometimes men like me can say stupid things. It can come across in a way that is stereotypical and demeaning and belittling and diminishing. Would you at least give us the benefit of the doubt that sometimes we just say stupid things? And we just didn't mean anything by it, but just came out stupidly. 
So I'm just asking for some little grace. Joy could fill in the blanks on that one. If you're talking to a group of people of a different culture and a different um, ethnic group, be respectful. Watch out for stereotypes. Watch out because you class them in a certain way because they are of a certain skin color, background, ethnic orientation. Be careful about that because we want to love like Jesus across all cultures, and so much of that is incidental and It's just fake. It's fake stuff that we shouldn't even bring into the conversation. If you're of the opposite side of someone who's talking to you and they're saying something that sounds to you sort of racially uncomfortable or inappropriate or should not be said, be gracious to them and understand that maybe they didn't mean anything by it, but they're still learning. We're still learning. We've got a long ways to go to unite together, whether it's older or younger, whether it's worship of today and worship of 40 years ago, or whether it's a man or a woman or, or this race or that race, or these sins or those sins. We've all got a long ways to go. And I don't want fake faith to prejudge and diminish or take away from my last point, that we need to be willing to engage with every person Because God loves them all. There's no one that God does not love. And do not withdraw from them. Don't withdraw from them. Because you may miss the opportunity to present the gospel to them. And whether it's the whole thing with gay lifestyle, don't withdraw. Engage with. You don't need to endorse, but engage with. Whatever Or whatever it is. I'm picking on that because that's sort of a hot-button issue. If it's illegal immigration... If it's President Trump, please, is President Trump and his stance on things, is that a foundational thing? Is it a supplemental thing? Is it an incidental thing? It's somewhere in the supplemental incidental realm. Don't make that a basis of relationships within your family, your friendships, your business, or your neighborhood. Those steal you away and cause to withdraw from the very people that need the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't let sinful behavior, whatever it may be, be a cause to withdraw from people who need the gospel of Jesus Christ. Fake faith is built on incidental things that God says are unimportant. Genuine faith is built on foundational truths that God says are timeless and are worth giving your life for. Let us be about the latter. Let's pray. Father, help us now. Guide us now. Help us to be authentic believers and followers of Jesus. And God, I pray that we would be one church that is united together. And Lord, that we would examine each of our own hearts to find out, are there areas in my life where I'm prejudging people based upon incidental and supplemental insignificant issues that simply in the grand scheme of things just don't matter. Oh God, don't let us be like Peter, withdrawing from certain groups of people because they didn't want the Judaizers to criticize them. God, help us to stand firm on what's foundational and help us to be flexible on what is supplemental, that we would represent you well 
in a world that needs Jesus Christ. Father, help us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.